We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to a crossover episode of the Top Dogs podcast and the CT Scoreboard podcast. I got my man Jerry Kotler here. My name is Rob Doster and we are going to be talking about, is there is there a team in Connecticut we should be talking about, Jared? Like who should we, do you want to dive into like Providence here? And I, you want to get into the breakdown of the, the Syracuse basketball season? Who do you think we should talk about? I, I was thinking we were going to kick things off with uh, CCSU v. Fordham recently, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not sure, not sure what direction you want to go in, Rob. The fighting Pat Sellers, man, you gotta yeah. love it. Uh, when when uh, when Connecticut basketball is good, that's a good thing for uh, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Especially you, and especially Mr. Hotballs, man. We gotta <laughs> we gotta make sure we keep him in line. Um, no, listen, I, I wanted to bring you on because I know you pay attention to uh, to the minutia of UConn basketball as much as I do, and um, I just it's been a while since I had someone on here that uh, thinks about it as much as I think about it, and 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 thinks about the season and where it's headed. So. I figured it was the perfect time to have a little bit of a crossover pod and just kind of break down where, I mean, we're almost halfway through the season at this point. Yeah, so crazy. where, where it stands, um, how we feel about it moving forward and uh, whether or not this is kind of exceeded or uh, come up short for what your expectations were coming into the year. So let's just start with this, Jared, 12 and two, two and one of the big East top five in Ken Palm, uh, top 10 in every single poll or metric or ranking or word, whatever you want to put it uh, yeah. right there in the mix for a Big East regular season title. How do you feel about where UConn basketball is in this moment, in this time right now? I I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, obviously got the big caveat of, of what's going to happen with Donovan and when he's going to be back and, and what he's going to look like when he's back. But for the most part, I, I think you'd have to say you're pretty happy with what this team did. I mean, you look at what they did in the non-conference that they, they beat up on everyone with the exception of, of Kansas there. Um, and I mean, I know we all went into the seasons being like that this team is playing probably one of the tougher non-conference schedules in the country. When you look at those marquee opponents that they had and uh, they did what they had to do against those teams. And, and obviously the loss to Seton Hall, a little disappointing, but we saw them go on the road and, and beat Providence uh, the other night. So you, you take a look at, and from my standpoint, 12 and two. I mean, I can't complain too much about this team. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of the same way. Um, I, I do think that the Seton Hall loss was a little bit eye opening. And mm -hmm. uh, I, 
look, when you don't have Donovan Klingon, the, the great wall of Bristol, as I like to call them back there, I think that it changes a lot of things for what this team can be. I think part of the reason why you don't see UConn playing in transition as much of this year as they did last year, well, one, not having Andre Jackson, but two, the fact that it's that much more difficult for them to get stops and that much more difficult for them to force turnovers when they yeah. don't have some of that perimeter talent defensively out there. Um, and I'm worried. I said this the other day. I, I'm worried about whether or not they got like a dog offensively, right? I, I said this during the uh, first half of the St. John's game. A coach texted me. who was like, who's who's UConn's dog this year? Who is the guy that you know was going to get them going, that you know you can give the ball to, uh, and he's going to make something happen? Like, I love Tristan Newton, but there's times where it just kind of feels like he lets the game come to him a mm-hmm. little bit too much, as opposed to like grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, I mean, for for all the all the greatness that he that he's done out there, I mean, I put up a zero against DePaul the other night, but I mean, I think he still had five five boards, seven assists, something like that, mm-hmm. or, or reversed. So, yeah, trying to find out who that guy is on this team, I, I definitely think is a question mark as you you head towards this second half of the the season. You you talk about the defense, and I think Dan Hurley, what did he call it the other day, wet tissue is that how, is that how he referred to the defense? I yes. think so. Um, Clearly some, uh, you know, trying to work out some of the, the kinks there and get them more in line with a, a Dan Hurley uh, defense, you know, typical defense that he's known for his teams uh, playing there. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you on the Seton Hall one. I, I think that was definitely an eye opener to me because it, it seemed to me during the non-conference that no matter what was thrown at this UConn team, they, they seemed to bounce back. I mean, in that Kansas game at one point, what, I mean, Kansas blitzed them out of the gate and they were down mm-hmm. to what, 15, 16 and, and fought back and, and really had a chance to win that game. And again, Seton Hall just seemed like they were kind of off in all parts of the game, which is something you haven't seen from this team in a while. Yeah. It just, it became that much more difficult for them to be able to run offense. Right. And like part of that, I kind of get it's that game was played on December 20th. It was played after you came back from the West Coast after a huge yeah. win over Gonzaga. It was a little bit of a letdown spot. Uh, you have Christmas coming up. You have New Year's coming up. Um, guys can always uh, look forward to that a little bit. So when you have a like a sleep a game where you sleepwalk through at some point in that, like after finals are done and before you get back after the New Year, like that's going to happen to every team. We see it yeah. all over the place. Like we saw FAU lose at Florida Gulf Coast. We saw yeah. Arizona lose at Stanford. Like that's just. It's a natural part of the college basketball calendar. In the NBA, they call those schedule losses, right? It just sometimes it happens and you don't show up. Um, I am concerned, though. I think I said this in the preseason. Um, It's just the – if you can switch everything against UConn, right, and if you can kind of take them out of what they want to run and what they want to kind of scheme and what a a set that Dan Hurley calls or that Luke Murray or Kamani schemes up, what the if you can keep them from getting a shot out of that, there's really only Tristan Newton in terms of who you can give the ball to and say, go get us one. Right. Yeah. And um, there's times where I just feel like I want, I want Tristan to say, okay, I'm going to go do this. I, I want more of the Kansas Tristan, Tristan yeah. Newton than what he's been like the last probably two weeks. I, I'm curious to to see what you think. If I throw this at you and say, can, can you see Steph Castle becoming that guy as the season goes along? Because you saw it a bit in that St. John's game. When like push comes to shove, like a lot of it stemmed from some of his defensive efforts, but when he took it to the basket, I mean, he made things work. And I I think that's the kind of guy I could see stepping up as the season goes along. Yeah. I think he is the guy, right? I think that is the answer right there. Um, And he's like, he's coming a little bit. I I think that 
the end of the St. John's game, then you got nine days off. Then you have the way that he played against the Paul and I'll beat it's the Paul at home. So like, I don't know how much we can really read into that, right. but um, to see him kind of the, the aggressiveness kind of take over and him say like, okay, this is my position. I'm going to make this, this, this work, right. I'm going to go get this bucket yep. right here. I think that that will be a big one for them moving forward. They got, uh, we are recording this on Thursday afternoon. It is, about what 36 hours before they play at Butler. Yeah. Uh, then you have at Xavier next Wednesday, and you have Georgetown at home next Sunday, right? So you basically have three games that are all winnable. Um, I yeah. think they'll probably go two and one out of this. I think they lose one of at Butler at Xavier. Just like that, the teams. Yeah, that that that's what I was saying. Especially without without Donovan, you got to split these at least. It's kind of how I've gone into the week. Yeah, uh, but I think they'll. I think I think we're going to learn a lot more about them after these two road games, especially like, look, Steph's got a if he's going to be a lottery pick, you got to start playing like a lottery pick at some point. Right. That's kind of where I'm at with him. Yeah, I, I'm waiting. I mean, and I feel like you've been seeing that incremental build up to, to where mm-hmm. his game. Can sure. be. And now you're just waiting to see it ultimately just come together fully in, in, in a game. You've seen bits defensively. You've seen bits offensively and at least offensively. I feel like the past couple games he's starting to get into that rhythm where he's starting to be able to get his feel for the court and what he can do out there a little bit more. Yeah. The one thing that concerns me with him is that it does feel like since he doesn't really have the jumper yet, like yeah. he, look, he's throwing out some of the worst jump shots. I think we've seen, uh, he, he makes Andre stroke look yeah. like it's, it's something that's good. Um, and I do think he relies a little bit too much on trying to play bully ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, that's going to work when you're a high school basketball player. It's a little bit different when you get to the Big East and the guys that are guarding you are just as big and just as strong as you. So he's got to be able to kind of figure out how to navigate that line, I think. But, I mean, the passing is – like you could just – he yeah. makes reads in this offense that are just like, oh, wow, how did he see that coming? Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it, it's easy to draw some of the comparisons to Andre Jackson of last year when you're talking about the different ways he's out there on, on the court, um, you know, his vision out there. I mean, just from an athletic standpoint, you know, had a couple nice uh, alley-oops the other night against DePaul where he's able to, I mean, I think one of them he caught in. I'm like, I didn't even catch that ball. Mm-hmm. So you see what he can he can do out there. And I mean, I don't know how how tough it was to come back from the, the knee injury he's had, but you could start to see that, He's getting back to that point where I, I think he's looking like he's 100% out there and starting to realize what he can and can't do out there. Yeah, I think it's less the the health and more that, I mean, you're a freshman and you lost a month worth of reps, right? Yeah, exactly. Whatever it was. Like, he, he he needs the reps to kind of figure out how to be able to, to get ready. Like, that's the biggest – that's been the most impressive thing about Cam Spencer to me, and, oh. and we can kind of talk about him a little bit, yeah. is that it's not – picking up what this staff is asking you to do not just defensively, right? Because yeah. I mean, you got to bust your ass on that end of the floor. Um, but on the offensive end, in terms of what they run, what they call the sets that you got to be able to to execute, like what you have to have stored up here, yeah. right? The fact that Cam Spencer was able to pick it up like this has been yeah. really impressive. No, I mean he, he's probably been one of the most impressive guys on the, this team to me this year. I mean, coming into it, and and I don't know how much you had watched him before. But I really just thought he was gonna. He was just gonna be a guy who who was a pretty good shooter, and it, he's just impressed me beyond belief in terms of what he could do out there. I mean, throw some great passes. I mean, he pulls down rebounds. I mean, and, and he's got a little moxie to him. I wasn't expecting a that. Little, like, a little, a <laughs> little moxie, Jared. Come on, man, give my man some credit. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's out there firing up the crowd. I mean, I was at that game at, at St. John's. I mean, you talk about like Dan Hurley going out to half court sometimes to like rile up the crowd. Like, I mean, he's like going up and down the sidelines, like getting everyone into it. And I mean, you saw we did with Amar Amarndo uh, Baycott there. Like, <laughs> like what he brings to this team. I mean, it's a little bit underrated, I think. Yeah, the the leadership is definitely there, and and like he sets a tone, right? Yeah. Um, I do think that there's part of it is like you you got to kind of keep him in line a little bit like you know how we love when when dan hurley's passionate but you got to kind of make sure he doesn't go to like that bad place when it comes to the refs like you can work the refs but don't go to the bad place yeah. then he went to the bad place once this year and, and uh hopefully that's that's going to be it for 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 that but um yeah the the armando armando baycott thing i was sitting uh courtside on the baseline for that game and like my view was directly, I was on the other side of the court. So he made that three at the start of the yeah. second. Like, they had the little tussle in the first yeah. half, right? Where they kind of got into it a little bit and he went up and he said something to Armando and I think Armando was just kind of like, what the hell is this goofball, right? And so in the start of the second half, he bangs a three and I think it pushed the lead to like 18 or something like yeah. that. It was a yeah. big lead. So he bangs the three with Armando trying to close out. Runs down the court this way. He's staring at him the whole time because Armando's running away from him, looking the other way. When Armando turns around, Cam runs right up to him and like he goes right by him. I don't know what he said. I can't read lips, but I'm pretty sure there were a couple f bombs in there. And he got right up in there and he 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 let him know he 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 had something to say. And the funniest part was that as he's running down the court, staring at him, the ref is literally right behind him and watching, just staring at him, waiting for Cam to say something. And as soon as Cam says something, boom, boom lit him up. No, yeah. that was funny, man. That was, that was, <laughs> that was a great Cam Spencer moment. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I've, I've loved watching him out there and uh, I, I'm, I'm just excited for what he brings to this team overall. Yeah. So do you, the thing that I like about him and Tristan out there together, and then you can throw Steph Castle in that mix, is all of a sudden you got three guys that, in theory, should be able to create something. Yeah, kind of does feel a little bit like, I mean, look, Cam Spencer, you don't want him. You probably don't want him just going one on one and isolating. Like that's probably not going to be the way that you're going to win games. Like a lot of what he does comes within the offense. So, who are you? Let's phrase it like this: It's there's ten seconds left in the shot clock. There's two minutes left in the game. Uh, it's a tie basketball game. You're playing at Marquette, right? Yeah. Who who are you putting the ball in their hands? What are you What are you calling? Who are you running there? Because to me, that's kind of the question that I have with this group. Are we trusting Tristan Newton? There is like he's the answer. Yeah, I I I still ultimately lean lean Tristan, and mainly because whether it's him trying to create for himself, I, I think he's a guy who can create for others as well. That you know if. Ultimately, something breaks down and, and he kicks it out, whether it's to Alex, Cam, you know, he can make other things work there. So I, I think ultimately he's the guy I'm having the ball in, in, in his hands. I know when it comes to that Kansas game, everyone's like, how, how did it end up? You know, Cam was on like half a foot there and it ends up with him. You know, he, he passed up the the look there. And I know there was a little bit of uh, controversy around that, but that that's why I ultimately would have it in his hands. I mean, he found the guy, he's probably the best shooter on the team wide open it made the made the play that you probably should make there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of riling with it too. I mean, he scored 19 in the national title game. We saw him put up 31 at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. It's just uh, there's times when I just want more of that guy, right? Yeah. More of you know, like I said it before, take the game by the scruff of the neck and and go go into takeover mode. 
And yeah. I think we saw that a lot in November and in December, and we didn't see it as much during the holiday period. So yeah. uh, hopefully that'll happen on the road. There's going to be, like I said, at Butler, at Xavier, going to be two tough places to play. Um, we do have to talk about Alex. I know you know Alex really well. Uh, him at the five, I think, is a really, really, really interesting lineup that they can go to. I don't think that it's it's kind of a stopgap at this point until yeah. you get the big fella back. But I think that it's the kind of lineup where you want to be able to use it five to six minutes a game and just see if that can get you a 12 to two run because teams don't know how to guard it. Right. Yeah. I just, I love the idea of that being the, remember the Warriors death lineup where they didn't really use it all that much, but they bring yeah. it out there and they would turn games from like a four point game to a 14 point game. Yeah. I want to yeah. see that with Alex Caravan at the five. I love that. Lineup. Yeah, no. And it's funny when I had him on last time, I, I asked him about playing the five. He's like, I, I love it. Like he, he's having fun with it. So why not run with it for a few minutes here? I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting lineup. They're able to get out, be quick with that lineup. And I mean, I guess it really outside of Soriano, like in the big East, I, I feel like you could probably get away with it for a few minutes without necessarily causing, you know, too much of a, of a mismatch. I mean, we saw it against DePaul and, and they were able to take advantage of it there. I mean, even against this guy like Soriano, I, I'd say he held his own, uh, for the few minutes they they had him do it there, but I I think it brings a whole different dynamic to this team new too when they when they go out and play a bit smaller like that. Yeah, I'm less worried about Soriano than I would be of Ryan Kalkbrenner because I think Calc's a yeah. little bit better at being able to move his feet. There's a reason the dude is two time Defensive Player of the Year in the conference, right? Um, but I love it against Eric Dixon. I, yeah. I love it again. Yeah. It just the way that you can make some. You're gonna have issues with him guarding any five, but they still got to guard him. And you know what, right. Jared? I'm not a math major, but I do know that three is more than two, right? Exactly. Three is exactly. more than two. Yeah. Yeah. No. You'll 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 take those uh you'll take those matchups. Uh, and I think I mean the Dixon was the one that came to my mind right away too. And to, who knows? In in two weeks we might see that play out uh, at the Wells Fargo Center right in front of our eyes there. Yeah. Right. Um. So, with him at the five, you said that he loves playing it. I feel like Alex is the kind of guy that is going to love everything that he's doing. Like he's, he, yeah. seems like he might be the nicest kid in the world. Maybe oh, too nice. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I love Alex. I'm glad uh, he made it. He made a pitch on the, uh, on the podcast before Christmas. He, uh, he wanted a scooter for Christmas and his parents <laughs> listened to the podcast and they got him the scooter. So, uh, you know, made, made him happy there um, from a, from a gift perspective, but no, he, he's a guy who like every time I talk to him, he's just always, so into being being in the gym and i i know dan's brought that up a ton about how he's just a gym rat he's the guy that leads by example there and, and it's clear i know i i know his finger had been a little messed up there and, and was thrown off the shooting a little bit but i mean he's a guy who's got the confidence in his shot and is going to continue to take it which i i think you want to see in a guy like that you know continuing to work through it and, and get there i mean he had a great game against depaul the other day and i think what's been impressive this year is seeing that jump in him not just being a shooter and I mean he had a dunk the other day I, I don't think I've seen him get up as high as he did the other day in that dunk drove through the lane and, and dunked it and you're seeing him being able to be a lot more confident and get into the basket there which I, I think it's just a, a big plus to his game yeah he knocked down a couple shots then yeah. he was able to to build up a little bit of that confidence and you go against the Paul, which is always a great program to be able to build some of that confidence against and I think he also knows that without clinging out there like they need someone to go out and, and give you a little bit of offense like yeah. i think so the biggest thing and i was kind of thinking about this is i think one of the biggest issues that you see with 
Tristan's struggling without clinging is that you lose the biggest threat when it comes to that like rim runner and that lob target. Yeah. It's a lot easier to guard Samson Johnson and Tristan Newton and pick and rolls than it is to guard Donovan Klingon. And that's no shot at, at Samson Johnson. Like he's a good player and he's done. Uh, I thought he was really good against the Paul, especially yeah. defensively he blocked a bunch of shots. Um, but it's the great wall of Bristol, man. Like you have the best lob target and rim runner in college basketball and you lose that. Yeah. And when you are someone like Tristan needs space. He, he's one of these guys where it's like, he's playing the angles and, He's got to use the change of pace because he's not like this. He's not Russell Westbrook, right? So I think that not having that lob target to make things easier for him is is not sometimes there's not as much space. No, I I, I can see that. Um, and yeah, so Alex taking taking over, being able to do a little bit more out there. Uh, I'm excited to see what see what comes of it. Yeah. Uh I want to ask you about Samson. Let's so we might as well yeah. get to that conversation. How was he done? in Klingon's absence in your mind I I mean I I don't think you could ask for much more out of, out of what you've gotten from him I mean and what he got thrown right into the water right away against uh Soriano in, in St. John's there isn't the easiest matchup uh you just look at those two guys from like a, a but the team is scoring right yeah. let the team is scoring yeah and you just look at that matchup from like a, a physical size perspective and um it, it's just interesting there and I mean, he was doing more than just dunk the ball in that St. John's game, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think even against Paul, he had a little bit of a floater in one of those uh, one of those shots there. So I've been impressed. I mean, from a defensive standpoint, he's been fantastic. I thought I think he had four or five block shots against DePaul. I mean, certainly held his own against Soriano. I mean, I think the thing that that worried me uh, a lot about, you know, not having Donovan is Samson gets in foul trouble. Where, where do you kind of go from there? And, he, and he's done a really good job at holding his own and being able to play solid defense without fouling, which I think is going to be key during this run here and being able to maximize his minutes on the court. And also just from a, a stamina perspective, mm-hmm. was he playing maybe, maybe 12, 15 minutes before, uh, before Donovan got hurt. And now he's playing 32 plus minutes a game. I mean, it's a, it's a big jump. Yeah. Uh, the, the big thing is going to be the rebounding like that. Yeah. You, you lose that, with Donovan and and luckily the next three games that they play are not against teams that are really known for crashing the glass. Xavier's the best offensive rebounding team out of the group. And they're, yeah. you know, like top 25, uh, top 25th percentile when it comes to that nationally and offensive rebounding rate. Um, but it's, it's cleaning the glass. It's getting the stops that you need. They are, I actually just looked it up. They are eighth out of, uh, out of the 11 teams in the big East in conference only defense. So mm-hmm. the only teams worse than them are, Butler, Georgetown, and DePaul, which hence, is hence the wet tissue comment. Hence, hence the wet tissue comment, which is not something that you would expect to hear. Yeah, uh, out of a a uh, a UConn team or a Dan Hurley team. So, um, it's defensive glass, it's defensive rebounding, uh, and it is the ability to kind of force some turnovers. And I think a lot of that is just not having clinging out there. But yeah. I mean, I think you need more out of Samson. Um, yeah. and, and as, I mean, it's, it's a lot to ask of him to go out there and <laughs> match the production that a lottery pick is going to put up there, but you got to do it, man. It's time. It's your time to sign. As you guys know, by now we've partnered with bet MGM sports book for this college basketball season. We're going to be using bet MGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68 each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. 
$1,500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When cross the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been impressed with how he stepped up, but clearly there, there's another level you could get. I think I think you only have one or two rebounds against Paul the other night. So for, from that standpoint, clearly there, there's a need to to clean up the glass a little bit more. And and luckily for this team, you mentioned who they who they're going up against the next few. But I, I think one thing I, I particularly love about this team is that the, they all can crash the glass pretty well. Um, you know, the guards rebound at, at a high level, so you can make up for some of it there. But there, there's going to be no replacement in terms of what donovan can do from a rebounding perspective yeah and and just to be clear i keep referencing the next three games i don't have any info that uh Klingon will be back for creighton um i'm just they said a three to four week timeline and four weeks from the time he suffered the injury uh on the dot is the creighton game so i'm that's that's kind of what i'm hoping for yeah. uh hope for the best get him back for creighton get him back for uh xavier on the road and hopefully that will uh work itself out all right i gotta ask you about haas sandiara He's been yeah. so damn good, man. He, he is has been. so good. Oh, I mean, what, what he did again, I mean, he just does all those little things you really want to see a guy like that do. I mean, I think it was the it was the Gonzaga game where he had like it was like back to back back mm-hmm. like stops defensively and then then had a great play offensively against DePaul. I mean, I think he was 3 for 4 from 3. I mean, if he's if he starts to become more of a consistent shooter, I mean, watch out. I mean, he's a pesky guy defensively. He brings a bit of that energy off the bench, which you like to see. And I mean, you're talking about looking for that dog. I mean, I know he, he he's not that guy necessarily that, that you're going to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game, but he's a guy out there in big, big time moments. I think he's a guy you want out there on the court. Yeah, to me, he is the perfect uh, 
perfect bench piece. Yeah. To be able to come in and change the energy of a game. I thought he completely changed at the Paul game because he came yeah. in and it was like all of a sudden you got a guy that's all action, all electricity, uh, all energy out there. And and Paul just didn't know what to do with it. And it gave life to the rest of the roster. And I think that is uh, his singular value when it comes to UConn. Look, he's a really good defender and he can get in the lane and create. And I, I think that the uh, hopefully that the the three for four that he shot from three against DePaul won't end up being fool's gold because I'm not convinced that he's more than what he's been as a shooter his entire career. But um, if the threat is there, if teams think he can make that shot, then it just yeah. opens up a little bit more space. But I mean, he's been, I thought Joey Calcaterra last year was significantly underrated in terms of the impact that he provided off the bench uh, as you need, a, you need guys that can come in and, and change the energy of a game off the bench. Yeah. Uh, and I thought Joey was really good at that last year. And I feel like Assad has been really good at that this year. Yeah. And, and I think just from a, a leadership perspective too, out there kind of leading some of those guys mm-hmm. coming in off the bench, like he, he's a veteran. He's been around, he, he knows the game, he knows the system and he just, just reliable is kind of how I would describe him in, in it's a big piece to have. I get the I get the sense that the guys really respect him too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that that's what I would say too. I mean, it seems like everyone's always speaks really highly of him, and you could just tell from the way they look at you know look at him while he's out there leading things on the court that there's clearly respect from there. So when it comes to the rotation thus far, um, for the most part, it's basically seven guys, eight guys when Klingon is there. The yeah. only guy we haven't talked about is Solo Ball, and I've been. I don't want to say disappointed in solo ball. I think disappointed, underwhelmed, that's the wrong way to phrase it. But I do think that there is more there that they can get out of him as he gets a little bit more comfortable in the role that he's asked to play, right? He's basically, when when UConn is healthy, he's basically in the Joey Calcaterra role. He's just not shooting 46% from three. He's shooting 28% from three. He hasn't quite found that level of consistency yet. And I think that is the key to, uh, we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, but I think the two keys to UConn season are getting the big fella healthy yeah. and getting the freshmen, specifically Steph Castle and Solo Ball, to the point where they're uh, playing like sophomores come March. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. And when I watch him out there now, it almost reminds me of like the really early Andre Jackson days where he would kind of go like a million miles a minute. And you could tell he's got everything going through his head, like what he wants to do, like what the moves are. And then sometimes you like just kind of over dribble, over penetrate a little bit too much, and then you get stuck in no man's land. You're not sure if you want to take the shot. Um, I, I really like, like that's yeah, what freshmen yeah, do. That's what that yeah, exactly. It's it's feeling out the game and getting his sense for it. I mean, he has no uh, no confidence issues, which I love to see <laughs> from from a guy like that. Like he, he's not afraid to put up the shots when he's in there. Um, he's not afraid to take control. It's just kind of getting him in that position where you're putting him in situations where he can succeed. Um, I think he's going to be a big piece too down the stretch. I mean, I think he he's shown up in some of their bigger games and hit big shots. I mean, you talk about that North Carolina game when they kind of opened it up a bit. He he was a big reason why they opened it up. Um, I think it was the it was one of the I can't remember which one off the top of my head either the Indiana or Texas game, but he had a big performance in one of those at, at MSG. So he's a guy who's not afraid of the spotlight and had to step up into a much bigger role. I think than anyone thought he was going to be playing the first part of the season, which I think is only going to make him into a player that's playing like a sophomore come end of February, early March. I mean, those were big time reps and minutes that he was getting early in the season, which I think are only going to just, you know, pay dividends down the stretch here. Yeah. The, the North Carolina was the one was the big one for me yeah. because you kind of saw 
the game-changing ability right there. And I think that he absolutely changed that North Carolina guy. Well, he ripped off like I think it was two straight threes and a, yeah. and a pull-up jumper in the second half that was part of that Cam Spencer that that, that three was in there when they yeah. when it went from a close game to okay, UConn's going to win this thing. Um, and and look, we need more of that from him. Yeah. Um, I think it'll come with time. I think he's still kind of figuring it out, but I, I, we, they do need uh, more out of him uh, this season. I touched on it a little bit. I gave you a couple of my keys for the season. What are the what are the one or two things that you think will make or break UConn? I don't want to say make or break. That's probably too too drastic. But what are the what are the keys to UConn being able to to reach their ceiling and be in a position to repeat as national champions? I think we talked about it a bit too, is strengthening up defensively. I mean, that's not something you're used to seeing when you mentioned they were eight, eight out of 11 there. Um, you know, that that's not something you expect to see from one of these UConn teams under Dan Harley. So being able to tighten up defensively, I think, and, and I think he even said it the other day in the, in the press conference was like, that's a difference from them being a true NCAA tournament uh, title contender is going to be on the defensive side. You mentioned Donovan being healthy. I mean, yeah. That that's the that's the obvious one there too, and and I think just getting these guys, um, especially you mentioned uh, Stephen Solo. If you could get those guys cooking, have a little bit more off the bench. I'm not sure how much you're going to get out of uh, Jalen Stewart and Jaden Ross at, at this point. I know they've been trying to work them in a, a little bit, but you able to get a little bit more bench production from those guys. Uh, you know, from Solo, anything you get from Hassan, I I, I think is big uh, to getting this team towards that next level because I think that was one of the biggest strengths of that UConn team last year, like, you know, starters go out and there really wasn't much of a drop-off. You were looking at a team that, you know, was able to not only maintain leads, but but grow leads when they were in going up against some of these second squad guys from, from other teams. So if you could get this team, you know, getting some of those bench pieces playing at a, at a high level, I think that only pays, pays off big time for this team. Yeah. Uh, look, it's the, the thing that's going to determine what UConn season is, is the foot of Donovan Klingon and and how healthy is he? Can he get back into shape? Like the biggest thing is going to be getting into shape, right? I don't think that this, at least from talking with the the people um, around the program, is it's not like this is a recurring injury. You know, it's I I think it's different than the Zach Fremantle situation where he basically suffered the same injury three times and has had to have the foot surgically repaired three times. It's kind of like a weird thing where he did one thing to his foot. Then he did something to his toe on the other foot. Then he did another thing to the other foot. And it was just kind of like, it's been unlucky so far. And I think part of the reason it's been unlucky is because you are asking Klingon to go out there and play at a level uh, where he's maybe not quite physically ready to do it in terms of how in shape he is. Does that make sense? Like when you're seven, three and 280 pounds or whatever he is, it takes a lot of energy to get up and down the floor. It takes a lot of energy to be in the shape that you need to be in to defend the way that they want him to defend. And it's just not possible to do. Like you could sit there and put him on a bike for three hours a day at practice, right? You're never going to be able to get in the shape that you need to be in to be able to run up and down a court for 30 minutes in the Big East. It's just not possible to do. So how do you balance getting this guy in shape while also making sure that the wear and tear that comes with a foot injury isn't going to be something that drags on the entire seat? Like it's not... Yeah, it's they no easy two things. Yeah, there's no easy answer there. So to me, that's the biggest key to the season, which is too obvious. So I'm gonna give you something else. Um, I think it is finding a way to be able to ensure that the three guys that are uh subpar defenders defensively 
are better than what they've been. And the three guys that I would say are Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, and, and Alex Caravan. I think those are the guys that you can kind of, if you're an opposing coach, those are the guys that you attack. Caravan, when he's at the four, I think we just, I mean, we've seen it over and over again. Um, and then the ability for guards to get past Newton and Spencer off the dribble, like those guys are really, really good offensively, and they're really good positionally defensively. If you're going to have them isolated on an island, it's not a great situation to be in. And when you have the great wall of Bristol out there at the five at the rim, it makes it a lot easier for them to be able to just say, okay, I'm going to get out and pressure this dude. And if he drives by me, yeah, good luck. That's what you got to finish over. And when you don't have that good luck, that's what you got to finish over back there. It completely changes what you, what you want to be defensively and the way that like it, it just, you can't guard the same way. Is that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah, I, I think that was, you know, I mean, stood out to me in the, in the second half of that Seton Hall game. I mean, mm-hmm. Donovan goes down and Seton Hall guys are going to the basket almost at will there. And you could see they're attacking the, the guys you mentioned. So being able to tighten up from those three in particular, just Kadari Richmond, man, Kadari, Kadari Richmond turns into Kevin Durant as soon as he sees UConn on the other side of the rock. I don't know what Dan Hurley did to him and when, when Kadari was being recruited, but like he, he turns he turns into a first team all American as soon every as he comes on the floor. Year, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. So let me ask you this. We can we can end it with this. Actually, no, this, I'm gonna ask you something else afterwards. But right. uh where do you stand on UConn winning the big east? Are they the favorite? Is Marquette the favorite? Is Villanova, who's the only three and team in the conference, the favorite? Where do you stand on Creighton? Uh break down this uh this big east title race for me. Yeah, I mean, it seems like UConn and Marquette have kind of separated themselves from the others, I, I'd say, at this point. I, I think those are probably the two two best teams in the Big East. Um, I, I, I was thinking Providence was making a, a nice jump, on, before, unfortunately, Bryce Hopkins got, got hurt last night. Now he's out for the, the rest of the season. So you, you hate to see that um, because they looked like a team that was uh, going to be on the rise in the Big East. I, I go back and forth a million times on, on Nova. Um I mean, we, we've seen who they've lost to. We've seen who they've... They they've make beaten. no sense, man. They no, make no I, sense. No. Um, and I mean, even 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 last night, they, the game they had against Xavier, I mean, they almost choked, what, a 14-point lead in the, the second half against uh, a Xavier team that, that's not a typical Xavier team there. Um, Creighton, Creighton, too, I, I, I'm torn on, on them. I, I, I was high on them, uh, probably relatively high on them coming into the season. And and it seems like in the, the bigger games they've had, they, they've really kind of laid some eggs in, in those games. And I, I can't quite pinpoint exactly what it is about them. That, that seems a, a little bit off, but. Well, my, my take on Creighton is that I don't think that they have, they kind of have the same issue that UConn does, right? Where Greg McDermott runs a ton of great stuff yeah. and they have a whole bunch of guys that can make the shots that are, created when he runs all of this stuff that they run like Baylor Shireman's as good at running off the screen as anybody he's got 35 foot range Stephen Ashworth is a really really good shooter uh that that has deep range Trey Alexander is very good in ball screens and um is really good we can kind of get to that mid-range pull-up and then Ryan Kalkbrenner is you know him and Donovan Klingon are very similar when it comes to the style of five man that they are really really good defensively um Kalkbrenner's a little bit better of a low post scorer, I think, and Klingon's a little bit better of a rim runner. Kalkbrenner can knock down threes. I don't think Klingon's there yet. Neither of them have a game-breaking athlete. And, uh, well, I don't want to say neither. Uh, UConn has some of that. And I think Tristan Newton's better than Trey Alexander when it comes to being able to create his own. 
Um, and Steph Castle is the difference maker overall. Uh, and Cam Spencer has been a better impact transfer than Steven Ashworth, but it's a lot of the same similar kind of stuff. It's just that I would say UConn's guards are better than what Creighton's guards have been so far this year. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. That does. I I, I can see the analogies there as you're going over those those two teams. There. I think that, that'll make for an interesting matchup in a couple of weeks when they, they come into Gamble. I think it's the 17th of, uh, of January there. Hopefully we'll get to see Kling Kong against yeah. uh, against Big Calc. So, um, and with Marquette, the, the, they just need one of – I think their David Joplin breakout or Chase Ross uh, becoming more of an offensive impact away from being able to kind of run away with the conference. I think that if they get Joplin to the point where he's averaging like 15 or 16 a game, or if they get one of Sean Jones or Chase Ross to be a guy that you can reliably count on for 12 to 14 points and make enough threes that you could space the floor, I think that that's probably the best team in the Big East. I just, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. So to me, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's UConn by default, but I think UConn has is the team that has been as close to the ceiling without having some of the the, the major concerns flare up outside of Klingon's injury. Yeah, and, and and what's interesting to me about this UConn team is I, I feel like even these games, they, they've blown some teams out with, I don't think you could say they played like an A-plus game necessarily. In those. It's like you go beat UNC by double digits and then you played maybe like a, a B game, like – so I, I think there's a next level to UConn where I don't necessarily know there's as big of a next level jump for those other teams in the conference, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't. The only thing that I would put, and I agree with everything you just said, it, it, I don't think that we've seen UConn hit their their top gear, but I'm also kind of getting to the point where I wonder what UConn's top gear is going to be, right? Like, are they, are they actually a team that is going to be a 37% three-point shooting team or are they a team that is like a 33% three-point yeah. shooting thing? I think that significantly changes what their ceiling can be, right? Is this something where they are going to get better defensively on the perimeter or is it something where uh, they kind of are what they are? You know, are we going to get clean and healthy or is he? Is it going to be like you get 75% of them all year long when he's healthy because that's kind of what it's been. Will Steph Castle make the jump or is yeah. he – you know, just kind of one of these great athletes that never quite puts it together in college. So um, I think there's room to grow. I just, I don't know if there's, I don't know if they get there. I hope they do. And yeah. I can see, I can see the path to getting there, but um, it's, it's just, I don't know. Am I being too pessimistic? Tell me if I'm being too pessimistic. No, I, I, I think you're probably relatively realistic. I, I'm usually on the rosier side of things. <laughs> uh, to me, I'd probably say it was a little pessimistic, but I, I think that's probably like the realest view of this, UConn team, probably if you're looking at it from an outside perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's still trying to figure out exactly, as you mentioned, what this team is. Are they that 37 versus 33%? What what are you getting out of, out of Donovan when he's back? I, I think there are a few, few of those key areas that are still a little bit TBD that I think ultimately make the determination into how far this team could go. Yeah, and look, everything changes if come let's just say February 15th, right? The day after Valentine's Day. Everything changes if Donovan Klingon is back to being the guy that gives you 28 minutes of 15, 10, three blocks, yeah. shooting 65% from the field, right? If he's yeah. that dude, come February, uh, mid-February, it's a completely different conversation because this is this is how UConn closes their season. Uh, February 17th, Marquette at home. February 20th, Creighton on the road. February 24th, Villanova at home. March 3rd, Seton Hall at home. 
March 6th at Marquette, March 9th at Providence. Yeah. Like that is, that's fucking brutal, man. That it's, is a brutal run in. It's the complete opposite of last year when the schedule is really front loaded for them. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's no good timing to have one of your best players uh, injured, but if, if you had to deal with some of those lumps with, with, with no Donovan, now's the time to do it and hopefully do it in the up. preseason and do it over the, the, yeah. the Christmas holiday. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there was anything that this UConn team needed more at the time after that St. John's game than nine days off or whatever it was, <laughs> just uh, just to be able to just get away for a few days. Uh, I know everyone's been beat up throughout the year, just like kind of heal up a little bit and get ready for the second half. So I, I'm, I'm excited. I think the next two games without Donovan are going to be telling for this team in terms of if they could go on the road and, and beat Butler and Xavier. I, I think that shows you that they're trending in that in that right direction. Yeah, who are you more worried about, Butler or Xavier? They, I feel like UConn always struggles at, at Xavier, so that's probably just a, a mental one. I, I think Butler's the better team, though. Um, Butler's coming off a, well, I think they've lost two in a row now, so um, they need this one. Yeah, they they do need this one. Like you, you talk about a, a bubble, a very bubbleish team that needs a marquee win, and UConn coming at home, albeit without Donovan Klingon, like that. That's one to try to try to hang your hat on um i like this butler team so i think i think it's going to be a be a tough one so butler's probably the tougher of the two would you agree yeah uh i don't know man like butler i think butler is a probably more talented team but i also think sean miller's like a top eight coach in college basketball (laughs) just like dealing with sean miller who uh who probably would love nothing more than proving that the miller brothers are better than the hurley brothers um (laughs) is something where i think is uh well, it might play into it. I'm also the the thing I'm worried about with Butler is that uh, they have kind of like those big wings that they can yeah. kind of that they'll they're going to attack people, and they got a couple guards that can just beat you down off the dribble. Tristan Newton dealing with Posh Alexander is never going to be a comfortable feeling because that's the when you got a little guy that can climb up underneath you as a big guard. Yeah, it's yeah. Posh is he's a pain in the ass to play against. All right, last thing I got for you, and then I'm going to let you go. This is the biggest question I'm going to ask you. Uh-oh. Dan Hurley versus Rick Pitino. How awesome will this be if it becomes something where the next three to four years, that is the biggest rivalry in the Big East? Oh, I I love it. I feel like like sports in general have just become a, a little bit like softer where everyone's like buddy buddy with each other. Like it's a little, <laughs> a little too nice. Like I, I, I like turning this up a little bit. I mean, uh good for uh good for Rick Pitino. I know it's uh it's been an interesting first season there for him. So uh do it, do what you got to do to get the fan base interested and, and keep them going throughout this season. Uh, I don't think they'll ever move from MSG, by the way, but uh, whatever he wants to say on uh, on that one. But I, I think that's a, a fun rivalry there. I mean, it's Dan Hurley 2-0 and against him, too, uh, since he's been at UConn. So, uh, yeah, right. I thought uh, I thought Dan Hurley couldn't win close games and couldn't beat great yeah. coaches, and here we are, the greatest coach of our generation, 0-2 against Dan Hurley. Yeah, we'll see. Yes. We'll see, man. Um, I think St. John's is going to be dancing this year. I think that they're actually really, really good, and they're only going to get better as uh, R.J. Lewis uh, gets healthy. Gets, from, yeah, yeah. As, he, as, as he gets back. So, that um, February 13, uh, you, you, you going to be at that one uh, courtside there, baseline? Uh, I'm I'm thinking about it. We I, I'm going to be gone – the weekend beforehand, we are doing the it's Providence hosting Georgetown and then UConn oh, hosting yeah. Xavier on a Saturday and a Sunday. So okay, yep. those back to back games. So I don't know if uh, it's the best decision to follow that up with another UConn 
uh, Big East yeah. game afterwards. But like, I think we might have to be there just to be in the press conference. Yeah, because that yeah, could yeah. get all electric. Yeah, right? yeah maybe we'll just maybe we'll just send Fanta with one of those like YouTuber <laughs> selfie cameras to to go there and just watch the whole time and break it all down. That, send them up to section 207, 208. We got two hundred of us that we organized. Uh, <laughs> got, got a group and that's why Rick Patino wants to play this game in Carnival. Exactly, exactly. I, I feel bad for the uh, St. John's ticket rep that won't be able to get uh, any commission off of a uh, Carnaseca sales for me next year but uh yeah it's gonna be fun i'll tell you this um i don't think that that decision is going to be made by rick patino unless he decides to open up his checkbook and say tell tell me what you made off of the gate for this game and here you go i'm gonna match that for you right here this is the money that i'm making this is the money that you're gonna get here's a check Uh, unless he does that but hey look it's rick patino he's there's a reason why he's the goat, man. He could probably, who knows? We'll see what happens there. Anyway, I just, I enjoy the rivalry. I'm having fun with it. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Jared, you got any parting thoughts for us? Yeah, I'm just excited to see what we got the, the rest of the season here. It's always, uh, it's always exciting once you get into the the heart of conference play here. And, you know, you've got three games up at the same time, trying to see what that might mean for the the standings. I, I'm the I'm the weirdo that's like cares about Big East standings on January 4th or whatever, whatever today is like uh, <laughs> trying to monitor and see what we've got there. So uh, no, I'm excited for the rest of the season. Uh, still think there's a high ceiling for this team uh, that it, not sure they they've necessarily hit yet. And I, I think it's going to be a fun, another fun winner here. I'll tell you this. Uh, if UConn fully healthy plays their best game, the only team that I think would be able to beat them is Purdue. And uh, I don't think that, if UConn does what they're supposed to do, they'll be playing. They would theoretically be playing Purdue deep in the tournament. And we probably don't have to worry about that. So uh, maybe a back-to-back national title is coming. So uh, Jared, uh, the the Connecticut scoreboard podcast, make sure you guys go and subscribe and check that out. I'll put the link in the description below. Always a pleasure, man. Good to see you. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Rob. We'll see you later.